Matthew chapter 6. As I've reflected just here on the first month of 2021 about things that I've seen um, publicly or, or at large in society, things that I've seen in my personal life, things that I've seen here in the church, I've been made to be reminded again and again of what Christ constantly calls our focus to in the Scriptures. You see, again and again, it's not politics or opinions or ideas or the attention that others would give us that Christ calls our attention to. But instead, what we see in the Scriptures is again and again and again, Christ calls our attention to our hearts, to the condition of our hearts. Only you knows the reality of the condition of your heart today. But I think what we are able to identify is that based upon the actions, the attitudes, the things that you look at in life, that we see what your, the nature condition of your heart is. And as we look here in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, you're going to see Jesus talking about that here in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to see three examples that he's beginning to name. And in them, there's a common example about the condition of the heart of man. And then we see him get down to the crux of the matter. Now, all the teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount is important and it's instruction for us in each of the aspects. But Jesus does connect here an understanding about the heart of man and the reality about what the focus of our hearts should be. Now, as we look at this, I want you to Try to give your attention over to these things that you would, just for a short while, give it your focus. Because what I think the condition of all of our hearts is here in 2021 is that we have short attention spans about the things that we're able to focus on. We are very quick to be able to change our mind on something because we're just kind of floating about because there's so much going on. One of the things you may not know about me is that I'm a world-class forgetter. I forget things, forget where I put things all the time. And while I'm a world-class forgetter, I'm also perhaps the worst person when it comes to looking for things. My wife will tell you, I had to get a hold of her today. She was upstairs, I was downstairs. I was looking for the lid of a cup for, for Ellie this morning. I couldn't find it. And finally I had to say, Tiffany, where is this lid? All I had to do was move something out of the way to find it. The problem that I have is a problem that I think is similar to a lot of people, is that we're really good about being distracted. Our mindfulness struggles a lot of times. I forget things for that reason. And when it comes to being able to come back to the focus, just as it is with me not being very good at looking for things, we struggle to come back to the point of the matter, to the focus of the matter. So I want to ask for your attention today because as we look at these things, I think you will begin to see and identify some of them in your own life. So let's pick up here in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 1. Uh, we'll read down through verse 8, then we're going to uh, skip over to verse 16 uh, and read down through verse 24. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. He says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men, that you don't do your charitable deeds, your giving before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. 
Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be not ye therefore likened to them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. And we see Him then enter into this example of prayer, that the Lord's Prayer as we commonly refer to it. We're not going to get into that today, but let's get down to verse 16, and we'll pick it back up there. Jesus continuing to speak, he says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heavens, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Finally, in verse 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And I know that was a bit of a lengthy reading today, but I hope as we read through that you picked up on some of the common things that Jesus was speaking on. He talked about almsgiving, about prayer, and about fasting. And he compared and contrasted that which he desires his disciples to do and how they would do alms and how they would pray and how they would fast. And he contrasted it with what the hypocrites were doing, with what the Pharisees of the time were doing. And about how those that were in that, that hypocritical state, that they had their reward. It was already realized by them for what they were seeking was not the deep things of God that they might be able to do well according to what they hold to and believe and understand of the Lord, but instead that they would be seen, that they would be the center and focus of what they were doing. And so he gives first his example of almsgiving. We can probably best relate to this as, as the charitable giving that we do, both in the church and, and out of the church, in which we are trying to, to do well to other causes and to different things that we have to give to, to, to give alms, to give tithes, to give offerings. And Jesus says that do not be like you would see those that give in front of men, that they might be seen for what they're doing. He says, don't sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Jesus was comparing them so that they make a big deal 
of what they're doing, that they might receive the glory of men. Jesus says instead to give so freely that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand's doing. He says if you have the Spirit about you, that when you give alms, that when you give charitably, that you don't even think about it yourself, then it is obvious that if you're not giving it that attention, that you might somehow notice what you're doing yourself, that you're not doing it that others may recognize it either. To give instead freely as unto the Lord. There's a lot to be said about charitable giving and about tithing, and maybe at some point down the road we can do that. But the focus that Jesus is calling us to is the condition of our hearts. Is your heart concerned about what others see you doing or about what others think of you? Or is your heart's concern that you might be a cheerful giver unto the Lord? What's the condition of your heart? He keeps going and he talks about praying. And he identifies those hypocrites that love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. And once again, he says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. If you give alms that people might see you, that people would see what you're doing and commend you and say, Great job, that's your reward at that point. Because all you are seeking is a commendation of men. And once you receive it, you have your reward. If you pray only that people will be impressed with your ability to pray, behold, leaving that impression is left as your reward. He says, don't pray as the hypocrites do, staying in the corners of the streets, staying in the synagogues, that they may attract men unto them for their ability to speak. He says, but instead when you pray, go into the innermost portion of your house and close the door. The heart that desires to commune with God does not desire to commune with God that everyone would know that they've communed with the Lord. The heart that desires to commune with God desires to go away from the world that instead they might pray and be alone with God. First time I ever prayed down at my wife's family's house. We were dating at the time and they had me over for Sunday dinner. Her dad's a pastor. They're a, a, a very uh, well uh, knowledge and faithful family. And I knew for sure he's going to ask me to pray. I was a young man at the time, and I thought, all right, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to be ready to pray, that I can impress her dad with my ability to pray. So I get out a long prayer, blessing the food. And I get done praying, and her brother, God bless him, he says, you know, you can tell a lot about somebody's prayer life based, based on how they pray when they're asked to pray publicly. And that was a needle right through my heart. He, uh, he was able to identify what I was doing. You know, a lot of times when we call for somebody to pray in the church house, what you're doing when you pray is you're revealing a lot about your prayer life. If you pray and you talk to God regularly and somebody calls on you to pray, you're just ready to talk to the Lord. It doesn't matter what people hear about what you're doing or saying. You just desire to talk to the Lord as you do all the time. It's not a big deal whether you pray outwardly or whether you pray quietly. You're just talking to the Lord either way. It's the condition of the heart that matters. Time and time again in all this teaching, Jesus is calling the focus to the condition of your heart. What's the condition of your heart when you give? What's the condition of your heart when you pray? 
he teaches the he gives an example in, in teaching the disciples how to pray when he gives the Lord's Prayer. And then he continues right back to that same line of thinking when he's talking about fasting. And he gives this example of how the hypocrites would fast in the day, about how they would, would disfigure their face and put on this sad countenance, about how they would put on clothes for mourning that everyone might see that they're fasting. They wanted the whole world to know how dedicated they were to the Lord in their fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, wash your face, anoint your head, and go about your business like you normally would. Why? Because fasting isn't that you would be seen of men, but fasting is that you might draw into a closer relationship with me. What is the condition of your heart? Is the condition of your heart when you desire to be someone who is devoted to the Lord that you would be seen as a religious person? Or is the desire and position and condition of your heart that you might surrender and give yourself over to the Lord? Three times Jesus gives examples. He compares and he contrasts what the hypocrites do that they might have the attention on themselves. And Jesus says they seek attention and they will receive it and that is their reward. He says, but you, when you do the things which you do in obedience and devotion to the Lord, do it as unto the Lord. Our religion is to be lived out publicly. Our faith is to be lived out publicly. Sister Annette gave testimony this morning that left evidence of how much her co-workers see her as someone who communes with God, who prays so much that when they have something to pray for, they go to her and say, won't you help me to pray for this? And that is wonderful. But I don't believe that they see Annette standing up in her, in her office place praying all the time and that they're drawn to her because of her ability to, to, to have some ability to speak in prayer. But instead, they see her faithfulness before the Lord. They don't have to wonder about if she prays or not because her faithfulness identifies it already. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. That while our faith is to be lived out and expressed to the world, what people are to see in that is not us. We're not at the center of our faith. God is. So when we live out our faith before the world, we live it out that not that we may be seen, but that God might be seen. We are to live it out that Jesus might be seen in us and through us. We talk about being a witness for the Lord. When we talk about being a witness for the Lord, what are we, what are we describing? That we might be seen as being faithful in the ability to testify? Or instead, that it might be known through us how great God is. And how loving and wonderful Jesus is to say. I ask you today, what is the condition of your heart? When you practice your faith, what is the condition of your heart? Jesus gets down to the crux of the matter and he says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth. That's what these hypocrites were doing. They found value in being seen of people, they wanted the attention upon themselves that they might receive glory from people. Their treasure was upon the earth, right? And he's talking now about material things when he's talking about treasure. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You know, if Jesus had just said, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, that would have been a good enough statement, Right? But Jesus gives logic to this about the value of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven as compared to here on earth. 
I don't care how nice of stuff you got. That stuff is ultimately just going to wither away and decay and it's going to break and all those other things. That's the nature of stuff. (laughs) Stuff is very temporary. Stuff breaks. Stuff corrodes. Stuff is found to, to rot away. You can have the nicest clothes in the world and you'll get moth holes in them just like you would old rags. You can have the most fortified house, but behold, even the most fortified house is subject to a thief breaking through and stealing. What we have here isn't for long, no matter how good you think you got it. Jesus says, lay up for yourself instead treasures in heaven. Why? For there moth does not corrupt. Rust doesn't come in to corrode. Thieves don't break through and steal but instead it is secured with God. Then he says this. He says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. What's he concerned with? The condition of your heart. I want to ask you today, where is your heart? Where is your heart? I'm not talking about the thing beating inside of your chest. I know where your physical heart is. I'm talking about where is the state of who you are? Where is the reality of who you are before the Lord? Is it stuck within all this temporary stuff that you might just merely go about and possess and enjoy the trappings of life? Or is it instead that you have your eyes fixed upon heaven? Where is your heart? I mentioned about me being a world-class forgetter, a world-class misplacer of things and my inability to look for them. I use myself as an example, but I think a lot of you are like me in the reality that a lot of times our heart gets caught up in the world. The reality of the things that we seek after and we pursue after, it gets caught up in the temporal things that are going on here. We're all subject to it. Why? Because we all fight against the lust of this flesh. We all fight against the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. We together are all challenged by the same reality of what it is to exist in this flesh. And as a result of that, we get so caught up in the here and now that we lose sight of the eternity that Jesus has won for us on Calvary. And as a result of that, we lose sight of where our heart is. Jesus is connecting the reality that our heart follows our treasure. I want to ask you, what do you treasure in life? I want to ask you to do something else. Parents, on your way home today, or maybe not on your way home today, maybe just sometime this week, ask your children what they believe the most important thing in your life is. What is the most important thing in your life? I'm scared to know the answer. Aren't you? When you're faced with the reality of what those that know you well, that look to you as someone to rely upon and to trust in, what is the most important thing? What is the most meaningful thing in your life? I hope you get some good answers. I hope what they see most important to you is your walk with the Lord. Maybe your love for your spouse. Maybe your love for your children. Maybe your work ethic. Maybe things like that. But you might get some bad answers too. The time you spend investing in binge-watching the latest show on Netflix. The time you spend scrolling through your phone, idly hitting that slot machine to see what comes up next as you scroll through. 
the idle time that you spend, I know myself, piddling in the garage or doing those types of things. What is the most important thing in your life? If you identify what you spend your time on, what you spend your treasure on, what you spend your talents on, you're going to see what the most important thing in your life is. I ask you then, where is your heart? Identify those things for yourself and ask yourself, where is your heart? Your heart will follow your treasures. Are your treasures laying up for you in heaven? For there will your heart be also. Or instead, is your treasure found here just in this temporary reality that your heart then likewise gets lost in it? And here's what I want to call your attention to today, friend, is wherever your heart is, that you would identify it and find it. If your heart is stuck in the realities of the things here, may you instead redirect it and shift your focus unto the Lord. What did Paul tell the Colossians? Paul is writing to the Colossians. He said this. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. I love how Paul told that to the Colossians. He said, keep seeking. You know what that tells us? That it's not some moment where you say, yes, I have laid up for myself treasures in heaven, and that is it. But instead that we keep pursuing and seeking after the things that are above. That we would set our mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Friend, today, where is your heart? Is your heart just rooted in this temporary reality? Or instead, is your heart, as it follows your treasures, rooted in things that are above? James put it this way. He said that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. It comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of eternity. What we find, my friends, is that when we look upon the good things of life. The good things of life are not the temporary things that we're able to enjoy, but they are the things that are rooted and based in eternity. What did the rich man and Lazarus talk about? We found that sixteen chapter book of Luke, I believe it is, as we read there that we see the story of the rich man and Lazarus who both have died, and Lazarus goes in on to Abraham's bosom and, and the rich man lifts up his eyes in hell. And we see the rich man and he's, he's desiring that he might be able to escape this place and if not, he would at least be able to go and warn his brothers that somebody would go and warn his brothers. Go and warn his family. We see Abraham, as Jesus accounts it there in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, we see Abraham give testimony to him, to the rich man. He says, during your life, you received the good things. He says, meanwhile, we see that Lazarus received only evil things. But now Lazarus has entered into eternal rest. Why? Because it wasn't the good things of a temporary life that he was minded of as the rich man was. But instead, it was the lasting things of the Lord. What is the condition of your heart? Where is your heart at? (laughs) You ever heard that expression that I wear my heart on my sleeve? You'll say about somebody else that they wear their heart on their sleeve. What we're saying is that they're emotional and you know where they stand on things, right? It's evident to you. You don't have to wonder. How many of us are able to have a faithfulness that leaves us evidence where our eyes are set, where our heart is at, 
where our treasures have been laid up. I ask you today, where's your heart at? When we see then the verses that immediately precede verse 24, See, Jesus continuously calls us back to the condition of our heart. Then he says this in verse 22. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, if your eye is healthy, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Jesus sees the condition of our heart in relationship to how it is that we see and interact with things here. What do you spend your time filling your eyes with? What do you spend time filling your ears with? What do you spend time filling your heart with? Jesus has been again and again and again calling the attention to the condition of the heart. And finally, he says in verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters. How long will you be halt between two opinions? How long will you be stuck between these two things? A desire to loot for the Lord, but continuously finding yourself caught up in the temporary trappings of life. He says, no man can serve two masters. Why? For he will either love the one and despise the other, or he'll love the one and hate the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. A lot of people think that he's just talking about money. You can't serve God and money. That's not what he's talking about. He says, you cannot serve God in material things. You can't serve God in the temporary things of life. How are you going to do that? What is God? Who is God? God is a spirit. He's an eternal spirit. He is sovereign and He is mighty over all. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And He is all-present everywhere. How does He compare to your temporary worldly things? The answer is that He doesn't. How are you going to serve a God like our God and also serve stuff? Those two things can't, can't line up, can they? They're all together different. You can't be one foot in the world and one foot with your heart laid up in heaven. It does not work that way. So today I ask you, my friend, where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? My daughter turns eight on Wednesday. It's evident by her actions that she's at or reaching the age of accountability. And she needs to be saved. It's a very sobering thought for a parent. I know many of you have gone through that. I pray for God's grace and mercy upon her life. But what I know about my role is all I can do is lay up my treasure in heaven. And that doesn't then just include the things that I worry about or focus about. But that includes my family too. God, you know, you know the condition of her heart far more than I do. You know her need of a Savior way more than I do. And you alone have the power to save anyway. So I lay her up to you, God. And I pray only that your mercy and your grace would shower over her. You see, our treasure... It's not that we would just simply think about material things, but that you would think about all in your life that you treasure and that you would lay it up before the Lord. My friend, I want to ask you, what do you hold to in life? 
You know, we encourage lost people a lot and we say to them, and we say, what are you holding on to? For we know that if a lost person is going to come to be saved, they're going to have to fully surrender themselves to the Lord and let go of everything else that they're trusting in and just give themselves over to the Lord. We give that encouragement to those that are lost. But I ask you, saved friend, what are you holding on to in the world? What is it that keeps you and prevents you from letting go of everything else and serving the Lord? Is it your relationships? Is it stuff in your pursuit of stuff? Listen, everybody likes stuff. You're not some bad person because you like stuff. But when you allow your love of stuff to get in front of your walk and your love of the Lord, that's when you find yourself going astray. Is it your desire to... to, to Make your way in life and climb the ladder, the proverbial ladder. Is that you might somehow obtain some fame. These are just some examples. You have to answer that question for yourself. What are you holding on to in life? Save friend that keeps you from surrendering yourself over to the Lord. Not just on Sunday mornings, but every day. What is it that you hold on to? a lot of testimonies of saved people where they talk about the things they had to give up, where they had things they were holding on to that kept them from just surrendering themselves over in faith to the Lord. Most notably, you've probably heard brothers like Brian Shives giving testimony of how he was holding on to his bicycle. Different testimonies like that. You know what my testimony is of that, what I was holding on to? It was my pride. I thought a lot of myself. I was raised... As an all-American boy, men don't cry. Men don't show weakness. Right? That, that was me. Doesn't matter how bad it hurts. Doesn't matter what you got going on. You grit your teeth and you move through it. Now, I had to lay down my pride of thinking that I somehow could, could just work my way through it on my own and surrender that all over to the Lord. And when I did that... It was the simplest thing in the world that God saved me. It wasn't some complex thing of being saved. In that moment where I let go of my stupid pride and I just surrendered myself over to the Lord, in that instant, God saved me. And I've been saved ever since. My pride still gets in the way sometimes, though. I still find myself wanting to reach out and grab a hold of it again. And time and time again, God has to say, let go of that pride, Derek. It's not going to help you. Who cares if you have to cry all over yourself if it allows you to be a testimony of who I am? Who cares if you're seen as weak if it means that I might be seen as strong? Let go of your pride, Derek. You see, there are things that we grab a hold of that are in this life that are incumbent upon the nature of being here in the moment, reality of being a human. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? When your heart trips on pride, you'll find yourself drifting away from that relationship that you desire with the Lord. But when you constantly, just as Paul said, that you keep seeking the things that are above, you will find yourself once and again to know that your heart is with your treasure that's been laid up in heaven. Where's your heart?
what's the condition of your heart. I thank you for listening to me. I pray that God would bless his message today. I pray that God would bless his people. If you're lost today, I pray that whatever it is that you find yourself holding on to that keeps you from surrendering to the Lord, that you lay it down. What you will find is that when you lay down all the worries and cares and, and, and desires of your life and the Lord picks you up, it's way better than anything else you ever had in the first place. So I want to encourage you today that are lost, lay it down and give yourself up to the Lord. I know that we have a song to sing, and we'll sing that here in a moment before we do something on your heart today.